0: you're listening to the maniverse podcast with your host tom traplin and this is session number 90. hello my favorite people thanks for joining me on another episode of the maniverse podcast before we jump into today's interview with brenda and Porik from the excellent nightwatch games i want to let you know about something very exciting that's coming up in november And no, it is not what you're thinking of right now. Uh, For the past three months, I've been working on putting together the very first LGS Success Summit. And now, it's official. The LGS Success Summit is an interactive virtual conference where over the course of three days, you can learn from 17 of the most successful game store owners in North America and discover new strategies and tools you can use to grow your business in 2020 and beyond. It is happening November 14th to 16th, and the best part is it's free to attend live. You can get your free ticket by going to lgssuccesssummit.com. I know, that's a lot of S's. And register now to secure your spot. It's free to attend live, but the broadcast software is limited, so be sure to sign up now. And for those of you who are thinking, you know, that sounds awesome, but I don't think I have the time to watch everything, I hear you. That's why you have the option of purchasing an all-access pass that will give you access to all the recordings, video, and audio after the event is over. Uh, It also comes with a a lifetime membership to the Maniverse Network, which is where you'll be able to find all the content from the Summit, as well as connect with fellow gamester owners and publishers and keep the conversation going. It's a pretty great deal if I say so myself, so I definitely recommend that. Uh, You can go to lgssuccesssummit.com to register today, and I will see you at the Summit. Now, let's get into the interview. Welcome to another episode of the Maniverse Podcast. I am your host, Tom Traplin, and I have with me today, Brenda and Porik Mulgrew. I believe I pronounced your name correctly, right?
1: Correct, Porik.
0: Porik. Like we talked about before, Brenda and Porik are the owners of the incredibly thematic Nightwatch Games in San Antonio. Uh, Nightwatch Games is a full-service gaming center. that specializes in board games, card games, miniatures, and role-playing, and is beautifully decked out in medieval fantasy decor. To quote one of their customers... The owners and staff have cultivated a nirvana for gamers, a more open and welcoming place you will never find. Brenda and Porik are on a mission to show what a game store can be in 2020 and beyond, so let's talk about it. How are you guys doing?
1: Thanks for having us. We're doing great.
0: Thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. It's always great to uh, talk to store owners and see what's going on in their business. So, uh, the first question, the first storyline that I always like to explore is, how did you guys get into the business? How did you guys end up as the owners of Nightwatch Games?
1: Uh, We were in the army. Uh, We were stationed in uh, various places around the world and the moment in which we really started thinking about owning a game store, I happened to be in Africa and Brenda was in Germany and we were talking through Skype and we quickly realized that the army life was not really something that we wanted to stay with. I'd been in for about eight years and sort of come and done what I wanted to do. And Brenda was uh, probably tired of the separation. (laughs) I was always on the other side of the world and that wasn't really the ideal marriage that we were uh, signing up for. So we really thought about doing something new with our life and we didn't know what that was. We had a lot of options to us, but Uh, I remember that it was Brenda that raised the idea of actually opening a game store. And I remember being somewhat shocked that she would want to pursue something that was very risky. Uh, The industry is not an easy one to jump into. uh, But also such a far cry from the army life that we were living. Um, And um,
2: It wasn't such a jump for me, though, because I had just come off of a long 15 year career as a restaurant manager uh, before I married him and then started just sort of playing for a living. (laughs) So um, I had a lot of work experience. And so the thought of running a store of any kind did not seem like a risk to me at all. And we were spending all of our time and money in hobby stores. So I figured, hey, we'll just invest into our own selves.
1: And that was one of the catalysts is as we'd go from hobby shop to hobby shop and literally around the world, we would uh, go to different game stores. We would always walk away thinking, wow, they had so much potential and they didn't actualize it. They didn't do anything with that space or they didn't do anything with the decor or the theme or all sorts of things that we were pretty critical about. And while we enjoyed going to the hobby shops, we always thought there was so much more to it. And we would sort of say to each other, if we were to ever open a store, you know, we would do X, Y, Z. Uh, So the thought was always kind of flitting about. We never took it seriously until we got out. Until we did. (laughs) And then we realized we had to take it very seriously because it's, like we said, a very difficult industry to get into.
0: Yeah, for sure. So you guys were,
1: you classify yourselves as gamers prior to? Uh, I think I was. Uh, I was definitely the more hardcore gamer between the two of us. Uh, We were married for about eight to ten years. And during that time, Brenda upped her gaming, I think, through exposure. We were playing D&D together. Mm -hmm. We were playing a lot of Star Wars X-Wing at the time. Magic
2: the Gathering.
1: Magic the Gathering, that's right. Oh, and she was winning tournaments. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't like she was just like a casual, Mm -hmm. as we sort of think of them, a, a spouse gamer that just tries to appease the real gamer, uh she was legitimate she was winning tournaments and uh owning owning the scene so uh I had been gaming for gosh forty years. I grew up in a gamer kind of household uh and then I think Brenda, you grew up in a more of a video gaming mm-hmm. household
2: mm-hmm. yeah
0: okay so you you were exposed to the hobby the culture you were kind of you saw multiple game stores along your tour of the world and you saw, you know, this could have been done better. There's huge opportunity here. This is what I would do. And then you just kind of went and you impl- implemented it in your own store.
1: Yeah, and we also were able to get a really good beat on what that gamer demographic is or was. And I'm sure we're gonna touch on that a little later in the podcast. But there was a dem- demographic that was associated with a tabletop gamer or a role player or even a, a magic player. Um, there was a physicality and a stereotype that people would really point to when it came to those kind of demographics. And uh, when we opened up our store, we knew we had to do something with that. There was, that had to change in, uh, in some way. And I'm sure we'll talk about that a little later.
0: For sure. Absolutely. We'll definitely touch on that. Cause that's uh... I think that's going to be a very important topic, especially going forward, you know, next year, year after, next decade, right? This is an always adapting and evolving industry and staying on top of that is obviously very, very important. Uh, But in terms of the early stages of the business, so when you decided, you made the decision, uh, we're going to open a game store. What did you guys do? After that like did you go uh, you know, write up a business plan did you seek funding did you like did you do the traditional route or did you uh, jump in with both feet like how did that play out for you
2: a little bit of both uh, Pork was in Africa at the time but as soon as he agreed to put his notice in with the army and open the game store together uh, I really hit the floor hit the ground running as I say and we did a lot of research on the San Antonio Business Administration government's website Mm -hmm. to look at the timeline. What do you do first? What do you do second? Um, Then we started looking at a business plan and that honestly took about six months because it's not just what's my plan. It's five years worth of actual sales projections. How do you come up with that when you've never owned a store in your life? So we Mm -hmm. had to do a lot of research and figure that out. After the business plan, we started looking for funding. We went the traditional route. We thought we were going to be able to use the Army veteran status to open some doors for us in the funding arena, Mm -hmm. but surprisingly, not at all. Um, It was no help at all being a veteran. Mm -hmm. So, with a traditional uh, personal business loan, uh, you know that we were given tours on. So we did that. We got the funding. Then we got. San Antonio. And we started looking for space, looking for suites. We even thought initially about the idea of buying a big old home and having the game store be on the bottom. And our upstairs would be sort of our apartment. But uh, old (laughs) is what we could afford. And old was just not going to cut it. Uh, It would have had a nice feel. It was going to be a money pit. Mm. Ended here in 3,400 square feet. In the northern central part of San Antonio, a very nice neighborhood. But
1: well, you make it sound like that was sort of a, a last resort and maybe technically it was a last resort. Uh, it was actually a blessing in disguise because it's on the north side of San Antonio. It's a very prosperous section. Uh, it also has a really nice green belt that's in and around the store suite so, you don't get the sense that you're in this industrial, commercial part mm-hmm. of town. You just see these huge trees and creeks and stuff. So it's a nice uh, illusion of getting away from the nine-to-five job and you go to a game store that's secluded in groves of trees and everything. So we, I think we got lucky with our location. It's, it's rather central. Again, it's very central to the demographic that we were aiming at and uh, the freeways and roads that connect us to the rest of the city are well-paved and well maintenance. So there isn't any bottlenecks or traffic concerns and all that kind of stuff. So I think we got pretty lucky with with our location.
0: Nice, nice. Why San Antonio? Of all the places you could have set up shop?
2: Our moms live here.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Um, that was the practicality of it. We did think about uh, various places around the world. The Army gives you a program that when you get out, they will ship your stuff and you to any location in the world. It's sort of this one drop stop and they are gonna cut ties with you from that point forward. So we, we really thought about maybe going into Ireland. Uh, we actually researched the gaming scene in Dublin. Uh, Colorado was also something that we considered, California, and then Uh, The more we looked at all the factors of opening a game store, the more we realized we were going to need a backdrop of support. We were going to need uh, familiarity. One of the things that I personally hated was having to go from city to city while I was in the Army and learn that city all over again. I have to admit it was a little bit of a, a stress that I was willing to let go of. So coming back to San Antonio, which is home for us, I think we met... Uh, 20 years ago Mm -hmm. as kids we actually dated as kids which is kind of a funny story Um, but coming back to San Antonio to a familiar town that we knew was uh, a little piece of that stress taken away and we were able to acclimatize ourselves really fast and we also knew some of the gaming stores that were established in San Antonio so we could segue into that scene without a lot of um, awkward introductions and whatnot.
2: Yeah,
0: sure. That that makes total sense. I was just kind of curious as to you know what the reasoning was before uh, setting down roots in any particular location. If you have family nearby and you have a a bit of an established history, that totally makes sense. I feel like that's a uh, an interesting lesson for most people who are thinking about opening up a game store because I think a lot of the people who do end up going down this route, just you know I've lived in the city, so this is the city I'm going to open up in. Right. That's usually the The correlation is, you know, you live in that town, that's the place you're going to open up a business, but that doesn't always, uh,
1: that's that's not always the best idea, right? No, no, there's a market that you really have to consider. And if you grew up in a town that's already saturated with gaming stores and the gaming stores are doing well, uh, it's sort of a fool's errand to try to open up your own store and be the new kid on the block, unless you're doing something 10 times better than everybody else or doing something that they are not doing that is in demand. Uh, otherwise, yeah, you're up against a uphill battle. The competition from game stores is very fickle. Gamers are fickle. Uh, they have a facade of loyalty to a location, uh, but many of them chase prices. They, they chase you know the lowest tag that's on their product, and they also chase uh, being able to get that product as quickly as possible. And as a new person, you're going to have to learn how to do that rapidly or else people aren't going to give you the time of day.
2: Fortunately, in a city of almost two million, there's enough customers to go around. Uh, So opening in a large city is a lower risk.
1: Well, here we come back to the demographic thing again. In San Antonio, 2.4 million people. uh, Let's say 10 percent of those people are potentially gamer or exposed to games or they understand what games are. And then you have the rest of San Antonio that's somewhat ignorant of what a tabletop game is like. You know, th- Their yeah. understanding is monopoly in life and uh, gaming has gone way past that. So I think the person that enters that market knowing there is 90% of your town is untapped. And the key is how do you convert those non-gamers into becoming gamers? How do you do that? And I can tell you right from the start, it's not by having big, well, having comic book female posters up on your wall. As much as gamers love that, um, your non-gamer is not going to respond to that right away. That's not the first image that I think uh, non-gamers want to see when they come into a store.
2: Nor do female gamers.
1: And females are obviously a big thing that uh, was recently, well, it's been a while now. So I think they are being addressed now. But there was a time when they weren't. They were being totally ignored as a potential demographic for game stores. And so... I think the person that takes all that into account and says, I'm going to make a living space for gamers to not only play games, but to feel special in that space. The space is guaranteed and engineered for them. And that's all the gamers. That's your right-wing gamers, your left-wing gamers, your female gamers, your transgender gamers. It's just gamers, capital G gamers. And you have Mm -hmm. to make a space that is... uh, tailored to them so that they respond to it and saying, yes, this is my space. And they invest in this space. The space invests in them. And you get this great symbiotic relationship. And then word of mouth spreads. And they start bringing in all these other people that normally wouldn't touch a game store with a 10-foot pole because of a lot of the culture that was associated with it. So you have to tear that whole culture down and build up something that's more accepting, more... I don't want to say mainstream because we are certainly not mainstream but certainly more inviting and more safe and more accommodating for those people to wet their palate on something that was new to them. Sure sure say so most game stores that we saw don't do that. It's a real shame they don't seem to take that all into account.
0: No I think you're right. I think most game stores lack I I think what do I probably call it? the culture like they're just a box they're an empty space they've got some tables they got some shelves they got some games on the store on the on the shelves and they sell them to you and that's you know roughly the extent of it for a lot of the of the stores that open right there's no ambiance there's no real effort other than the the basic marketing materials that some of the, the publishers will provide for you yeah the idea of creating an identity and like a, like you like what you guys have done the theme right and, and really building a an environment an atmosphere of this uh full immersion in a space is something that most game stores don't explore. Even some of the, let's say more professional versions, right? They're just a really well done retail operation rather than a, like a unique experience.
1: Right, right. We found that there's two ways to approach this kind of industry and there's those people that approach it as a retail experience. You're going to make a store in which a customer comes in and you try to get them to spend as much money as possible and have a good shopping experience and then they leave. And that's the extent of the relationship with your your gamers is they are basically customers. Another approach that you could take is, it's not about the retail at all, it's about a community that you build and you fund the community through retail. So the retail is just sort of this vehicle that you're using to keep the lights on, but what you're really emphasizing is a community building Uh, experiments. I have to admit this this took both Brendan and I by surprise. We thought we were going to be a retail place and we were going to do retail well Mm -hmm. but a community started rallying around our vision in such a way that that became our priority is to take care of the community that was taking care of us and retail just happened to be the way that that would happen.
2: We never expected it to form a family.
1: So let me illustrate what that means uh, so that people can understand what I mean that we're, we're transcending retail. Uh, in our store, we've had numerous significant life experiences happen within our walls. Uh, we've had a couple of baby showers. We've had numerous birthdays. I don't think we can count the number of birthday parties we've had here. We've had bachelor parties, bachelorette parties, We've had four separate gamers get on their knee and propose to their wives. (laughs) Who does that, right? That's, that's a significant thing. We've had marriage anniversaries. We had a wedding. The actual ceremony was in the store, bride walking down the aisle and everything. Uh, And then to bring that whole thing full circle so that we had the complete circle of life. uh, We also had a memorial. One of our gamers, unfortunately, killed himself, and the family said, out of all the places in the world, Nightwatch Games was his happy place, and so we want to host the wake there in the store. I don't know many game stores that could brag that they have these kind of life experiences as part of their shop. And so, Nightwatch Games has truly transcended just a gaming store. It's now a community that rallies in a place where we play games, but we have people that will talk to us about their life problems. I think Brenda and I are bartenders without having to serve (laughs) drinks. You know, we we know everybody's secrets.
2: We should start charging for the therapy hours.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There is definitely some charging. You know, you see those. People at concerts and they hold up the sign to the band and they say, Your music has saved me. Uh, We get the same messages. Mm -hmm. We get people that just say, You know, without this game store and without this community, I would be in real trouble right now. And you guys have helped me through. And that was not how we started. That was not the vision that we had in mind, but that's what was the development of Nightwatch Games. And it just goes to show that there's a need in the market, that gamers, um, and I wouldn't even say just young people, I think it's just people in general, because we have some elderly gamers in our community that are as enthusiastic as anybody else, and as needy as anybody else. (laughs) Um, those, Those things developed in an impromptu way, and we were just acute enough to respond to it in the right way, and to become that source of safety and happiness that people were looking for. And the selling of games just became a very secondary thing.
2: A good example is that we had to, we have a training program now for new employees to show them how to approach a person based on that person, not based on the product, not this is what you say about the product or this is what you say when they're looking at magic versus board games, it's, is this person here with their grandson? Is this person here by themselves? Uh, how did they walk in confidently, non-confidently? To which part of the store did they just approach? Uh, so we, we ask them to take all these things into consideration before they form those first words that are so important. Uh, Bob Tibbs talks about this. He's the retail doctor and uh, He talks a little bit about that first few seconds being the most important. So we train that way.
1: We also have a pretty staunch theory on how businesses in general should operate when it comes to building relationships with customers and even more so when that customer base becomes a community base. And it's based around the core values of the owners. When I say values, I'm talking about those very fundamental things like honesty, integrity, loyalty, uh, sacrifice, uh, personal service, those kind of things that we attribute to values. The, the
0: military doesn't- The really old school values. virtues that have kind of uh, been forgotten about. It seems
1: that way, right? It's not about the old-minded dollar. It's about something else. And Brendan and I got married because we obviously identify with each other's values and there was a lot of- uh, synergies to them, um, and then when we built Nightwatch Games, intrinsically Nightwatch Games embraced our values. Uh, so the image of the knight, the image of uh, a nobility, of uh, a service, of uh, protecting those people that can't protect themselves—that's just all a projection from Brenda and I. But what we found is when we hired people, we would hire staff that also had the same kind of values. And then by projection, here's the part that most people don't get, is you start attracting a community that identifies with those values. And so when you have a store that turns into a community center, and a customer comes in, and it doesn't matter how much money he spends, if he doesn't identify with the values of the store, and the owner, and the staff, and all the other customers, that person's not gonna feel comfortable. They're just going to feel out. And I'm not saying that their values are wrong or bad. It's just, they're not the same. And so they feel uncomfortable and they end up going somewhere else and finding a home somewhere else. And we are totally okay with that. But what we're finding is the values that Brenda and I subscribe to, um, the market wasn't curtailing to them. It's like a new thing. Uh, Sometimes the customer's not already right, and sometimes the owner has to come down and saying, look, you're doing the wrong thing right now, and I'm going to try to correct you. Uh, The market doesn't really support that very well, but what we're finding is that if you do that, the community actually rises up and they become better than they were before because you're cutting off those uh, people that bring it down.
2: We have uh, quite a few one-star reviews. We have it's like percent <laughs> five stars, and then the other one percent is one stars, and there's nothing in between. You love us or you hate us, yeah. and it's funny to see the customers that love us address the people who left us a one star review, and they're like, "Well, what did you do to get them to not be nice to you?" Because <laughs> you know the the review will say, "Oh, the owner was rude." Well, what did you do to make her rude to you? <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> Um, There is that. One one of our customers has pointed out that you let your enemies define you. And if you were to read our one-star reviews, you would really come to understand what Nightwatch Games stands for, because those people that don't follow our value system, they get some resistance.
2: Well, they certainly get addressed.
1: Yeah, and they perceive it. They perceive it as a very personal attack. But what it is, is keeping the quality of the community to a high standard mm-hmm. sure and absolutely. That's, chasing the money. that's chasing the quality of the community and by doing that the community responds by giving you money because they want your lights to stay on too and so it's a very selfish uh scratch your back i'll scratch my back kind of thing and there's a lot of momentum behind that kind of relationship if everyone is on the same page with What are we after? And we're after a store that caters to our special needs. We're after a store that caters to our special personalities. Uh, We're after a store that will hold us to a higher standard. And we're after a store that is going to build this culture that we subscribe to and make it better. And it becomes a self-serving, really ball of snow rolling down the hill and it just gets bigger and bigger and better and better and i i really wish other stores would jump onto that and say don't cater to the wallet cater to the personality and the value systems of your customer base and you'll find that they'll flock to you and that's that's where we get into that demographic that we were talking to before is that because you're now dealing with a set of values that was not evident before you can now address people that weren't coming into the stores before because they're, I'm gonna put like little air quotes here, but they're good people that wanna play games. They were just never introduced to games the right way. And now we have a space in which we can do that. And those people are usually well off. Uh, They're usually well educated, Uh, they're employed. And so they have money to spend. And when they find their space, they are not shy about spending that money. And so you're really tapping into a demographic that helps you. And it just raises the bar for the whole industry. And we gave a talk at the Gamma Show. And while I was trying to address this idea that there's a demographic out there that is new and is just ripe for gaming and for retail, uh, I was contrasting it with the demographic of the 1980s. And there was some hurt feelings out in the audience because either they identified with the demographic of the 1980s or this was too difficult of a jump for them to make in their mind that there is an untouched section of the populace out there that they're not addressing. But I think it's very evident. Having a female game store owner is also a huge boon Um, you know, she has an an access to the females in a much easier way than I ever could.
2: We, um, I I wouldn't have always agreed with that, but ladies night, our ladies night event is evidence of it. Uh, We started that about a year after we opened. I had this idea that I should have a night just for ladies that was in the private room so that it didn't make anyone out in the open Paul feel like they weren't invited. So we did it in the private room. I set up a game, set out some snacks, sold some tickets, and they came. And they started coming regularly until we couldn't fit in the room anymore. So we went to another area of our store that is semi-private. It can hold about double the people that a private room can. We broke out of that too. (laughs) And now we, or at least we were just before the pandemic, sort of threatening to take over the whole store on (laughs) nights. But it's undeniable. And you can ask the women that come to the event, because this is the only event they come to at a game store slowly as they become regulars for ladies night, then they also become regulars at night watch games because they start to take ownership over the place. This isn't just the guy's game store, this is my game store and I can be here too.
1: So not only do you now build a robust other half of your demographic customer base built of females that are being encouraged and empowered to play games, they're learning the language, that they've probably been exposed to, but they didn't speak themselves. Uh, they, they know how to move a meeple around, they know how to roll all the different dice, and they become gamers, bona fide, significant gamers. And then there's that tropey idea that wherever the girls go, <laughs> you're gonna get guys. You know, the guys follow. Uh, so you're building up your customer base that way as well. And if everyone's playing on the same, values then you don't get that really weird lecherous guy that's just kind of chasing skirt as we would say with that doesn't happen because that's not the value system that we're promoting and so we get a really wholesome uh, environment where females feel safe they feel empowered uh, they're equal And they feel like they can play games with anybody in the store and they don't have to worry about some of the things that they would have to worry about back in 1980s and
2: 90s. And they also know that if, by chance, a conversation that's inappropriate starts to come up, that they are fully empowered to say, that's not cool. Back off. Yeah. You know, they don't have Mm -hmm. to come tell me. They just say, hey, back off.
1: Yeah. And it's not just the owners that would come to their defense if it ever got to that point. It's literally the people to their left and right will come to oh, their defense. Yeah. So it's a full community and it's, it's an amazing uh, feel good when you know that you've empowered a bunch of people that have been usually ostracized, misunderstood, uh, confused about their place in society. Uh, here, all that stuff becomes very crystal clear, and uh, it's nice to be a part of that movement.
2: We love seeing those customers come to the store to play, but they're wearing their Nightwatch Games logo T-shirts. Mm-hmm. And customers will uh, ask them, you know, hey, can you tell me where to find this or that? And they'll just help them.
1: <laughs> yeah, they know <kind laughs> exactly where that is. Play. You become an employee that we don't have to pay. It's That's awesome.
2: Right. Yeah, it's great.
1: <laughs>
0: Yeah, now getting the customer all the way up to the level of raving fan, uh, you know, promotional advertiser for you, someone who's willing to go out and evangelize the word and spread the, uh, the knowledge of the place around. That's, that's exactly what you want to do for every single customer that you can, obviously. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you guys are attracting, like you've, your store and the way that you operate is a beacon that is attracting the right kind of person that you're trying to pull in. Yeah. yeah. The, other, the other thought that I had was you, while you were uh, uh, talking was that uh, money is a reflection of the value that you, you put into the world. So the money that's coming your way is because of what you are doing, not because of what you're selling. That's, that's part of it. It's the mechanism, but it's the it's what you're doing. It's the how you're operating and what you are putting out into the community and all of that. That's why it's coming back to you in the form of monetary value, right? So I think the way that you're approaching it is obviously like, it's very successful for you guys. It's working out great. And I think if more store owners could get on board with the idea of going value first, then everything else will follow. I think uh, the whole industry would probably benefit greatly.
1: Yeah. There's a entrepreneur uh, by the name of Gary Vaynerchuk, Mm -hmm. Uh, pretty, pretty famous in his circle I think he's trying to own the New York jet. So uh, he's doing pretty well, but he's a rags to riches kind of story. And one of the things that he really promotes is the idea that you give value first at no no, uh, response. You just provide value and you keep providing value until the person that you're providing value to says, wait a second, this is a lopsided relationship. I need to provide value back. And when you're in retail, the value that you're giving is – it can take all sorts of forms, but it's just good customer service with nothing in return. You are just providing a bunch of services, a bunch of information, a safe space, blah, 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 blah. And then the customer is going to say, I'm not going to feel good spending my money on Amazon. I need to spend my money at this place Mm -hmm. because I kind of owe them. And it's not a – Uh, A verbalized thing it's an intrinsic feeling Uh, he calls it the uh, jab 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 right hook approach and that I have to say we implement that a lot we're Mm -hmm. very conscious of when we ask our community for a favor and we feel secure that we've given plenty of value up front so that when we do ask for that favor it's not painful Uh, A great example is during the COVID at the beginning, uh, we got really scared because we we knew that we had to shut down our store for a while until the city realized uh, that we could operate in certain parameters. Uh, So we were worried about where our income was coming from, and we started a GoFundMe on the Internet, and we tentatively put out a goal of $5,000, and I remember talking with Brendan, we said, this is our right hook. This is us asking for that favor back. And we, we got the $5,000 and then some within two days. And there were some names on the roster of people that were donating that we recognized, and it really wasn't surprising to us that they were going to support us in that manner. But we also saw people we didn't recognize that didn't even live in the same state at the store, and they were saying, "Hey, I was I was by there once. It was an amazing place. I've never seen something like that. And it'd be a total shame for you guys to uh, succumb to, you know, the virus. So I'm going to send you money from Massachusetts." you are like, "Wow!" Yeah, that's a good sign. Look, it, it was amazing. Um, so I think it's it's a very profound approach that happens at the very seed idea of a game store, the very beginning inclination that you're going to open a game store is there's a ripple effect that continues as you operate that will end up in a situation where you're supporting a community and then that that community is supporting you right back. And that's how we've survived COVID. Uh, We could not do that as a normal retail space. But as a community center, uh, we're actually in really good shape.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: That's fantastic.
1: Yeah, that's, that's great, that's great to hear. <laughs> we, it's like, oops, sorry, we're, we're winning.
2: <laughs> well, we also took advantage of every resource that became available. And I think that's also a key is that when someone says, hey, I know it's a 40-page application and it's going to take forever, but if you do it, I will, you know, loan you this huge amount of money at a very low interest rate that you can pay back over thirty years. Essentially, it's free money. But yeah, you, know,
1: you got to do the work. There is some work, work involved. Sure. Yeah, I, I probably simplified the process in all kind of a feel-good way, but <laughs> there is the grind. Again, uh, pointing to Gary Vaynerchuk. He talks about the two elements of a good business, and that is a person that has the dream and the vision and has a lot of the value systems that want to be projected. And he refers to those as the cloud. It's the the big fluffy vision of the, the gaming store. But then there's the dirt, and the dirt is sounds like a negative connotation. But the dirt is really just the thing that you stand on to make it work. It's the the grind, it's the paying uh, bills, it's the inventory management, it's the understanding the policies of uh, finances and the laws, and it's just the grind of the store. And what we found is a lot of our peers are really good in one of the two areas,
0: mm-hmm.
1: really bad at the other one, and they end up failing. Uh, And uh, Gary would say you have to have both, and you have to have both in great amounts. And I've been super lucky to have Brenda as a very productive, detail oriented, number crunching, managing type of person. She's the dirt. She is, she's as dirty as you can think. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas my head's in the clouds. Uh, I'm a dreamer. I'm I'm a romantic visionary. Uh, I can't spell, I can't <laughs> add, uh, I can't use a register very well, but I can tell you what the space is going to look like and I can do some very, really good interior decorating.
2: Well, one of the things that we get complimented on the most is our ability to create a brand. That is 100% the clouds. That is 100% poric. So by no means is the clouds a vacation once you build the idea and then I'm done. No, it's a continual grueling process of reinventing ourselves, staying on the cutting edge, being progressive. So that's all him.
1: And understanding that each person has their lane. And while there's a little tiny overlap on some of it, you trust that your partner has got their lane. uh, then you can do great things because you can focus on your strengths and your partner is shoring up your weaknesses. And I think uh, a lot of game store owners need to find that relationship with uh, another business partner or if they're really lucky to have that as part of their own personality, that they can do the grind, but then they can also see the dream and pursue the dream
2: I don't know. I think those are both full-time
1: jobs. I, I agree. Um,
0: I agree as well. I think that's one of the reasons why most major businesses, like once a company grows past 20, 30, 40, 50 employees or whatever, it's usually like you've got the owner who started everything and launched the whole thing and was the dreamer, was the executor, did everything on their own. But then they designate a CEO to be like, all right, you're the one who's going to execute my grand vision this is where we're going this is the you know what we're trying to do trying to achieve you're the day-to-day get it done kind of person right so you kind of separate roles so i agree it's very hard to do initially when it's just you so one of my questions would be like if if a uh say sole proprietor is listening to this and be like "This sounds great i, I, I get the vision i get the dirt you know I, I understand but it's just me so like what do i do if it's if you're on your own?" How do, where do you find somebody to, uh, you know, if you're, if you're the executor, where
1: do you find somebody to carry your vision for you? It comes back down to those values. Uh, you have to find somebody that subscribes to your values and yet has some skills that you don't have. Um, how do you meet that person? I'm not too sure. I think there's probably some entrepreneurial circles out there where people are looking for partnerships um i would say maybe go to the game stores that already exist and be very critical of the people that are around you and evaluate them as if uh you know ask the question are, are these people holding up the values that i hold dear uh do they have a savviness that maybe i don't or the other way around do they have a bookishness that i don't and try to build those relationships from the pool of people that One, they have to have a passion for the industry. So gaming stores are probably a good place to
2: look, but... Also, uh, we've noticed since we've become small business owners that there are dozens of Facebook pages, groups that have been created by this person or that that are for people that are small business owners. And that is just a huge pool of resources. And maybe right there is where you could find someone that can pick up the slack. Uh, maybe you, know, you collaborate and bring two businesses together, a cafe and a game store, bring them together, make it one thing, and now you've got the clouds and the dirt, but you need a partner, you can't do it by yourself, or maybe not to your full potential. Yeah. You would not be able to fulfill your own potential by yourself. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, and this, this part of the thing is, I think people can make a store, and it would probably survive. But is it a store that is raising the bar of the industry? Probably not. It's probably just going to be a, a typical store, and it's we're not cutting down any walls here. And I think this is the prime time to actually raise the bar of what that looks like. So I think some people could do it on their own. It's just going to be not as fulfilling as it could be and not as uh, potentially cool as it could be. Um, I was going to say something else about... Yeah, I'll skip it.
0: My thought on the whole thing would be that uh, I would probably pursue some sort of a mastermind relationship in the sense that maybe you maybe you don't have a, a business partner or an investor or somebody you can, you can bring in and say, okay, you've got ownership over the space. Let's designate, you know, you're the one who's uh, got the vision. You're the one who's going to handle the day-to-day, you know, execution and grind of the, of the business itself. Uh, if it's just you and you're on your own and you're trying to do everything and you're wearing all the hats, the best thing you could probably do is try and find somebody who's in a similar entrepreneurial situation, not necessarily a, uh, like another gamester owner. Cause it's, you know, like, there's also the elements of competition, if you're if you're working together with someone who's literally in the same city as you, might not jive properly. But if you can find somebody who's like another small business owner who maybe owns like a, a hardware store or something like that, who's in the same sort of position in that they're also trying to operate and run a business on their own. If one of you can bring the acumen of, you know, getting things done and, and the expertise on how to get that stuff done, and the other person can kind of give you some advice, the feedback, and you can just You can say, I don't have an idea. I've got like a somewhat of a one-year plan. This is what I want to do, but I need somebody to give me like, you know, like a real big, uh, big picture scope, you know, like help me out with my vision, right? If you can find someone who has those skills, whatever you're missing, whatever, uh, whatever your skill set you're lacking, who's in a different industry or something close by and just have that relationship where you can just share right? You're not competing directly. You can just share experiences, share advice, and have that kind of collaboration. That might be a good second to having a dedicated partner inside your business.
2: A great way to meet somebody like that, who you don't necessarily want to collaborate business to business with, but you want to pick their brain and uh, allow your brain to be picked by them, hmm. is your the local chamber of commerce. Yep. Uh, they do a great job of bringing professionals together at mixers and things like that, that's a great way to meet people and a great way to get your business known in your city.
1: Yeah, I dig it. Yeah, yeah there's definitely a, a power behind the relationships that you build. It's one of the great things that Brendan and I love is as we become more significant in the industry and we go to the different conventions, uh, and I know that you're trying to springboard off that convention idea, Uh, is it's about the relationships that you've built and maintained and all the opportunities that those relationships open up for you and vice versa. It's really energizing when you get around people that are one brave enough to be an entrepreneur, uh, but they're also creative and they like games so that you're all speaking the same language and enjoying the same ideas. That's a lot of momentum going on. And if you can tap into it, uh, there's, there's a lot of potential. One of the things that I remember what I was going to say before is owning a game store has to be a full-time job. Mm -hmm. There's a couple of people that enter the industry and they think, well, I'm going to do it on the side. I've got my nine to five and then I'll open up the game store in the evening. I I don't think that's a wise move. Uh, One, because you're not going to do it well enough. Uh, Two, you're going to create a demand for a community and then you're not going to be around enough to satisfy that demand. You're going to make a cool place but you're only open for five hours in the evening, uh, that cool place has to be open a lot longer than that for people to really see the value in it. So um, I would really encourage entrepreneurs to go double feet into the deep end, high risk, uh, but high reward and and do the work, do the grind. And uh, if you do it right, uh, in about four years, I think it's taken us about four years, we're totally operating in the black. We have no debt anymore. The business loan is paid off. Uh, we just bought a house and we have a full staff and our full staff is only four people. So that's not like a huge staff, but it's a staff that lets us walk away from the store and go to the park or go for motorcycle rides or whatever. And we don't have to be here all the time.
2: It's the difference between being self-employed and being business owners. Yep you have to be at the store or it doesn't open, you are still self-employed.
0: Yeah, you just own your job.
2: That's right. If the business opens from noon to midnight, seven days a week, and you technically never have to be there, you are a business owner.
0: Yeah, which is the goal. You don't wanna open a business with the, you know, the, the end result of you just being shackled to the business itself. The whole point is freedom and creating something of value for other people. Those two right. things have to come together. Exactly.
1: Yep. And it's a long road. It it doesn't happen right away. And there's definitely a lot of sacrifices that you have to make because you are going to be shackled to the business for the short term. Uh, There are are things you're not going to be able to do. You can't play in the Friday Night Magic tournament anymore. You have to run it. And you have to make sure it's a good event. And you can't do that if you're also at the table shuffling your 60-card deck. Uh, you can't go to conventions because you're at the store making sure that things happen. So definitely some sacrifices. One of the small secrets, actually it's almost not a secret anymore, but one of the small secrets of Brenda and I is we lived with my parents for four years. Uh, and that's like, that's post-Army. So, you know, I'm an Army officer coming back to live with my parents. That's a nightmare. <laughs> Books have been written about it. (laughs) But that's one of the sacrifices is it was a rent-free situation and the parents were very supportive in all sorts of other ways. But that was sort of uh, some of the crow that we had to eat to make this thing work. Uh, But like I said, now we have our own house and we're free from that. And the parents have their house back and we're all winning. (laughs) (laughs) Winning.
0: Yeah, well, anything worth doing is worth putting in the effort. And I definitely agree with the idea of, of, you know, there is no such thing as like a part-time game store. It just doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. You only have 100% worth of effort, right? So if you're going to be dividing that between your nine to five, whatever job and whatever's left over to your business, it's not going to be what it could be.
1: Agreed.
2: This is a full-time job for six people. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It is. I guess literally it is.
2: And we work um, as much as two people each. So, you know, we we work like 70 hours a week. So, even though like we technically don't have to be here, we are here still. Um, So, maybe it's not work, but we're here 60 to 70 hours a week.
1: Yeah. I define work uh, (laughs) as doing something when you'd rather be doing something else. Mm Admit I'm very lucky that if I had my choice, most of the time I like being at Nightwatch Games. I like coming in, and being the owner of this space. It's energizing to me, uh, so I don't consider it work. It Doesn't feel like work to me, uh, but I'm definitely putting in some effort.
2: I think of it as work. I mean, if I could be anywhere I wanted to be right now, you and I would be on the Santiago Trail or something, you yeah. know. So yes, I I definitely think of it as work. But uh, man. And I've worked a lot. I started working when I, full-time when I was 16, mm-hmm. and I'm 46 now. And this is the easiest job I've ever had. <laughs> the best job, for sure.
1: That's because you're your own boss. True. And that's, that's another beautiful thing about being a game store owner is you are your own boss. And the only person that you really have to answer to is the IRS and your community Uh, But even then, if they have the same values that you do, there's not a lot of conflict there. Uh, It's a symbiotic relationship. And being able to get up and wear the clothes that you want to wear and comb your hair the way you want to comb it, and you get to be you because you're not only creating a safe space for your community, you're creating the safe space for yourself. And, it's uh, again, it's, I think, the pinnacle of life where you – are happy doing what you're doing, it's a wholesome thing. it's got a good vibe to it. You're helping other people be happy. Uh, there's not a lot of downsides. love it
0: <laughs> yeah. love it yeah. no, I think uh, I, I don't know who to attribute the quote to, but I'm sure you've heard it. you know when you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that really reflects the uh, the situation that you've got going on yeah. Again, like the idea of running a game store, it sounds like it's so appealing to so many people because it sounds so, uh, I want to say utopian because, it, you know, utopia doesn't exist, but it sounds so good because of just the nature of the work and everything. It seems like it fits. If you're into hobby games and you like game, uh, you like magic and you like board games, you, you love the culture, then it seems like the game store would be the ideal, perfect dream job. It's just, you got to get to the stage where it becomes that. And you got to put in the work and that like you said that three to five years of doing the grind and, and doing the sacrifices and whatever you need to do to get to that point but it is possible there is like an end goal a few years down the road where you can achieve that dream that you actually wanted
2: yeah yeah and you have to have a little bit of the business knowledge coming in or you can make some really big mistakes absolutely
1: <laughs> so. absolutely yeah. There, there's obviously some funny stories that we could tell about these horrendous mistakes that we made and if we could go back in time how we would undo some of it but
2: um but not so horrendous that like we could tell stories of other people who said hey i opened the store i just wanted to like all oh, know i'm opening uh tomorrow and i said wow you got your cfo really fast what's that I'm like Um you need to go call your local government. (laughs) Yeah. What's a CFO? Uh certificate of
1: documents. Yes. For those people out there that don't know listening. Yeah, you
2: you may not want to open your doors for business without one of those.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there's definitely a, a lot of pitfalls if you don't know what you're doing. And this is part of the reason that why I do the podcast and I have people like you guys on. It's just because that there's a lot of simple mistakes you can make at the beginning that would really set you back or like just lead to ultimate failure over time. And if we can avoid some of those at the start, obviously the better, right?
1: Yeah, actually that's a good segue. Let me, let me offer Brendan I up to your listening pool For anybody out there that is actually seriously considering opening a store, we're very transparent with the process that we went through. Uh, We have a business plan that's on the file. We have absolutely no problem with forwarding that business plan out to other people to model themselves or get ideas. We have a bunch of hard numbers that we came up against that again, we're not shy with sharing. Um and we have a bunch of lessons learned. So Mm. if anybody is looking for any kind of like mentor type of relationship with a couple of business owners that are doing it well, uh we offer ourselves up for that. So
2: yeah, as long as you're not opening in San Antonio, Texas.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Don't open up down the street or else (laughs) we'll tell you a bunch of misinformation. (laughs) Um and the second thing is we have a podcast ourselves. It's the Nightwatch Games podcast, and we do talk about a lot of these principles and a lot of the decision-making that we use to make the store the way we do. And we tap into the community for a springboard conversation, and some of them are pretty interesting. So if you are an entrepreneur and you're looking for a game store, uh, that podcast might be something to listen to. Shamelessly absolutely
0: no no problem i will link all of that stuff up in the show notes so if people want to go check that out and find out you know more about the podcast or uh reach out uh, that'll be available to them uh, anyone i can send your way happy to do so great 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 so great for i feel like we probably just keep talking we could sure. forever because i feel like we've just kind of just scratched the surface on things but we are uh, we are coming up to a little over an hour so let's And I'm just gonna ask my final two questions and then just see how things go. So do you have any advice or tips for Gamester owners who are struggling right now,
2: especially in terms of uh, COVID and all that? For sure, if you have not already applied for or received the SBA small business loan, the PPP loan that is from the federal government, your local county is working with a company called Lyft Fund to do both loans and grants. And a grant, of course, is free money in the amount of $5,000. Apply for those. Um, maybe a GoFundMe might also be something successful that's for you. Uh, and then, of course, every penny that you do get, try to put it right back into your store uh, to build that strong foundation that you're going to need to stand on for the next year.
1: Um, Don't be afraid to pivot your store model uh, because we are up against uh, the locomotion issue of people not wanting to leave their house to actually go to your store. Uh, You're up against a severe handicap there. So you have to then be able to pivot and provide a service to those people to stay relevant. And that service is probably going to be through uh, digital medias. Uh, your social platforms, uh, podcasting, video casting, remote seminars, all that stuff becomes very relevant now, whereas before it was just icing. Uh, Now this is almost the the backbone of how do you keep your relationships with your customers vibrant and growing. And then through those mediums, you encourage them to maybe come out and uh, shop or You build that online shopping experience that a lot of us were adverse to because that's not the relationship we're looking for with our customers. But it's sort of vital now to have that option for people so that they do uh, shop with your store and they support you and they're safe and healthy while they're doing it. And again, it keeps you relevant in their world. Uh, It's easy to get buried under. News articles, or the ease of Amazon, or some of the other things that we're battling as retailers, social media and ease of experience is probably the best thing for you to emphasize at the moment.
0: Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. And my final question, the one that I usually wrap up with, because uh, I think it's probably one of the more interesting answers, because everyone gives me a different answer, is <laughs> uh, you know, we talk about. Success, quite a bit. That's kind of the theme of the podcast. So, what does success look like for you in terms of your business? What does it mean when you feel like I've I'm successful at what I was trying to achieve?
2: Can I can I leak?
1: Yeah, go can ahead. I leak a little? All right, go ahead.
2: Okay, so by the time this is aired, this will be public information. So I'm not going to be too worried about uh, spilling the beans early, like they asked us not to do, but Uh, We have been in business for four years. Uh, Last year, we were the winners or uh, we accepted the award for the best game store in North America from the Game and Manufacturers Association, which is just a big governing body for all game stores. Um, So that was amazing. And then now locally, uh, once a year, the SA Current, the San Antonio Current News runs the best of San Antonio. And it's both a print ad and also a digital platform where you get to nominate your favorite doggy daycare, your favorite game store, your favorite Mexican food restaurant. And then voting happens over a period of about a month. They announce the nominees and then voting happens again to see who is the number one best in that category. And guess who won? We, we did.
1: did. <laughs> we did. Yeah. So we are the, the best gaming store within San Antonio as nominated by the community which is pretty significant for us because there were the triple giants is the way we refer to them there were three stores that were very established and they'd been game stores starting back in 1980s and they're still around so they're very established as the pinnacle of what gaming stores are well the new kids on the block just sort of pulled the rug out from underneath them and won won the title So we're pretty happy about that, but I wouldn't call that success either. That's certainly a a metric that you can measure success, but I remember significantly when we handed the keys over to our staff and we went to Gen Con and we were gone for a week and – You know, the the horrific nightmares of the store is going to burn down without us there. There's going to be horrible customer service. There's going to be all sorts of one star reviews because we're not there. Blah, 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 blah. None of that happened. We were able to stay away from the store for a whole week at uh, Gen Con. And we came back and we had new five star reviews. We had glowing praise. The employees were showing initiative and they took care of the store as if we were not even needed and that's when i thought wow we really built something that now has a life of its own and we don't have to give it cpr every morning it's living
2: right that's it's- when we were no longer self-employed and we became business owners
1: yeah. i felt like uh, dr frankenstein it's, it's alive, alive! <laughs> <laughs> So that was my, my feeling. Um, I agree. It's, it's successful. I equate owning a business to raising a child. And there's a point when the child starts to walk on its own, it starts educating itself and it starts becoming its own entity. And as parents, you're allowed to step back and just watch that process and guide it every now and again with a, a loving hand. But the, the child now has its own identity and that's Nightwatch Games for us. It is a teenage, hard-headed, stubborn child, but it is living a good life.
2: My baby's all grown up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's a
0: fantastic answer. And that's the reason why I love asking that question is because it's always really interesting hearing where, where that level of, I made it, you know, this is my, what I've been trying to achieve. I feel satisfied and happy wherever that happens to be and what that means for you. I think that's a really good point to kind of like say, I put a pin in it, we made it. We Crossed the finish line. Now it's time for the next marathon, but we achieved what we were set out to do. I like it.
1: Absolutely. I like it.
0: All right, well, I think that's a great place to wrap this up. You know, maybe you guys wanna come back on another time and we can have another conversation. I feel like there's a million other things we could talk about. But yeah. I think this is a nice little encapsulation of the whole thing. I think we covered a lot of a lot of good ground. And, uh, I think you guys give a lot of great insights into you know the idea of the demographic in 2020, 2021,
1: and uh, and beyond. So thanks for coming on the show. I think it was great. It was great. It was good having you. We also invite you maybe to uh, come on to our show. We'd love to pick your brain about your experiences. So uh, we can talk about that a little later.
0: That would be cool. All right. Well, like I said, all the links, everything will be in the show notes. So if uh, people want to reach out to you, uh, that, it'll be down there. Uh, do you want to leave any parting words for the listeners before we sign off?
1: Adventure awaits.
0: <laughs> and that's our parting blow.
2: <laughs> parting tagline.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for coming on and uh, we'll talk to everybody later.
2: Thank you. Right. Bye.
0: Thank you. All right, everybody. That's it for today's episode of the Manaverse podcast. I want to thank Brenda and Porik for coming on the show. They've got a fantastic shop and a great approach to building their business, so be sure to check them out and connect with them if you want to know more. Uh, they are also two of the featured speakers for the LGS Success Summit, so if you want to take a deeper dive into the demographic we talked about in this episode, be sure to register for the summit. Go to LGSSuccessSummit.com and get your free ticket and secure your spot today. Uh, thanks again for tuning into the podcast. My name is Tom Traplin, and I've been your host for this excursion to the world of Nightwatch games. And I will talk to you again in the next
1: episode of the Maniverse Podcast.